everybody, it's the I-84 Show live here on Facebook and around the world. And if you listen to us on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or watching us, for that matter, on YouTube, this is the I-84 Show, and this is episode 146. 146. I love six is what it breaks down to. As always, below me, we have Adam the Mallet. Hey, hey. And uh, above him is uh, Mr. Ryan Glover. No relation to Danny. <laughs> and uh, Ryan, we have a special guest tonight on the first part of the show. Who do we have? Sean XLG Mitchell is the creator of adult contemporary rap, hip hop for the mature crowd. He's the author of the best selling book, Hip Hop Race, celebrating 30 years of rap music, and is the first rapper to win a national music competition. Sean is considered by some to be the greatest rapper of all time because of his unique skills and creative style. His new book is called Make America Hate Again. Nice. Make America Hate Again. That's very unique. Especially what's going <laughs> so on. We're going to get dark today. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, if you're just tuning in, this is a special uh, three-hour episode. Um, we're going to be splitting this up on the iTunes and the YouTube, by the way. But um, So if you're, if, you're, if you're tuning in at like 9.30 at night and you see... We're still alive. Trust me. We're going. It's a marathon. We're going to do this. But, uh, Sean, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Where are you uh, joining us from, actually? From the, from the DMV area, ah. right outside of Washington, D.C. Nice. The beltway to the people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I spent uh, spent seven months living down there. I was in Maryland, outside of uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, actually, right outside of D.C. And, uh, oh, okay. It had to be the hottest fucking summer in the history of DC. It was probably every day it was like 96 and muggy. You couldn't even go outside. It was unbearable. Yeah, it's been like that. Yeah. It's like a big swamp. They decided to build the capital city of the country in a giant swamp. And just the humidity is absolutely ridiculous. It is. Yeah. See, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. But no. Yeah, this area was a huge swamp. Mm hmm. <laughs> It's a rude awakening your first summer down there when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, it's going to be beautiful. I can go walk the monuments and stuff because I wasn't working at the time. So I was going to take advantage of all this time I had. And uh, after like the first week of like dying, I was like, I'm all set. I was going to sit in my air conditioning apartment and just chill, watch uh, Office. The yeah. office. <laughs> so are you, uh, you, you from DMV down there originally? Yeah, between here, I was bouncing back and forth between here and uh, North Carolina, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I actually got my start in uh, doing music, in, actually, in North Carolina, actually. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you're a southern boy. Yeah, I have some of those roots. There you go. Yeah, yeah. What part, of, uh, what part of North Carolina? Well, my father was in the military, so that tells you right there. I was Fayetteville? right outside of Fort Bragg is where I... I uh, grew up okay. uh, between, but I was going back and forth between here and there. Okay. So, yeah. that, that's Fayetteville, right? Yes, oh, exactly. I get that. And, uh, and then in the Landover area okay. uh, is where I started growing up in the DMV area. So the Landover area, I was there last fall. That's where the, uh, the good old, I don't know what you call your football team these days, the football team of Washington. <laughs> that's where they play, right? Yeah, the Washington team, yeah. Yeah. I, are you are you a big football fan? Absolutely, but I'm not a fan of Washington though. Okay, <laughs> I'm actually a Cowboys fan. Believe it or not, there's there's a lot of Cowboys fans around this country, especially people who don't live in. My my uncle's a Cowboys fan. He grew up in New England, so it, it they were good in the '90s. You know what can you say? You had Dion, you had Emmett. I mean, you had a, you're the best team. 
I would say the second best team ever next to the Patriots. But I mean, I, I was just a little, little biased right there. But there's a hell of a Dallas team they had for years. Aikman, Jesus Christ, how could you, uh, Michael Irvin? Irvin, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, Emmitt Smith. Yeah, Troy Aikman. Yeah, those were the guys. Yeah, yeah. I can you know, only... notice when one of them was out though, they'd lose. Like you know, you had Aikman, Emmett, and Michael Irvin. If one of them wasn't playing, it was a loss. Like all three of them yeah. had to be out there. It was like. Yeah, but you know what? Dallas it was so good. It's so many people. It's, it's funny that you grew up in, in Washington. You're a Dallas fan because it's a huge rival, anyways. But uh, I remember um, thinking of back of that Super Bowl where the Washington Redskins uh, played the Bills. I think that was the uh, the missed kick game, wasn't it? It's how the Bills ended up uh, losing the Super Bowl because it was like a, like a shank kick to the right or something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, they lost like, what, four in a row? Hell yeah. I think. They were not good. <laughs> they lost uh, two against yeah. the boys. And then uh, one against the Skins and the yeah. other against uh, the Giants, I believe. Exactly, yeah. The, uh, the NFC East beat the <laughs> Yeah. I actually yeah. Uh, I despise the Buffalo Bills. In fact, I actually own a piece of the turf um, from their stadium when they re- renovated it over the summer. Oh, wow. Purely for the fact that Tom Brady may have sweat on it. That's really the only reason. <laughs> So you're a big Brady fan, huh? I uh, was a big Brady fan until you abandoned us like a uh, absentee father and decided to go <laughs> with his new girlfriend. So, you know, I have a little resentment. You know what, I mean, you can't take away what he did for us. So it's like, yeah. Well, when dad goes to the grocery store to get milk, you can't take away for the first 10 years of his life when he disappears to his new hot girlfriend who lives in Florida, <laughs> who likes to do wild things that mom didn't do. Right. It's just sports, man. It's not fucking. <laughs> it's the way I look sports at it. Life. <laughs> sports life. <laughs> well, we all seen what life's like without sports, and it's absolutely miserable at times. So, that's true. so now you know, you know. So, how how are things down in the DMV during the uh, during COVID? Oh, it's crazy. Uh, you can go walk through the city and not see anyone on the on an entire block. So, yeah, that's definitely something that's different. It's usually overcrowded with people on every street corner. Yeah, it's like a it's like a movie set sometimes, right? When you walk down there, it's like they they, they blocked everything off to film. Yeah, everyone's walking on the scooters, flying down the streets. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different now. Kind of reminds yeah. me of uh, what's that movie? It was The Purge when they shut everything down for like the you know the night. Oh, so. yeah, twenty four hours to kill anybody you want. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of creepy. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like you're afraid to go out there because you know what's going on. You know, we're not far from that. Yeah, we're close. I might kind of be for it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I gotta tell you, if there's if there's a uh, purge, you can find me in my bunker. I'm gonna be down there for at least for three months, ready to go. I'm in the middle of nowhere, so no one's gonna find me for a while. So I'll come out when the lights are out. But um, yeah, I mean, this, the quarantine's been kind of crazy. We've been doing the show. Uh, we used to do the show live uh, together as a as a group, and now we're uh, been doing this for uh, oh god since March, right? So, so it's been a while. Oh, uh, but uh, so everyone yeah, gotta I, use alternative methods now. Yeah, you know what? It's actually it's a little more convenient when you think about it too, because like I'm not wearing pants right now. So, but you would never know that. I would have to wear pants when you know if I would see Adam and Ryan. So it's very more comfortable for me. So yeah, this is your pluses and minuses. Hey, uh, Sean, I got a question. Um, so I was reading your the, the first rapper to win a national music competition. Yes, that's correct. That is that is 
insanely awesome. But I, I just want to know more about that. Yeah, like, tell what us about year that. was it? Yeah. Like, what what took place during this competition? How many people were there? Well, like, that that's a big deal. That's awesome. Yeah, well, thanks. It was a, uh, a national competition. It was actually done over the radio. There was okay. a radio show aired out from California called Radio Scope. And this was in 1990. So at that time, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Stacey Labasol. The I'm, familiar. I'm not familiar. I know the name, but I, I, I couldn't yeah. tell you. That was my nickname in high school. China Gill, but she has a studio up in the Fort Washington area, yeah. in, uh, up here in the DMV. So came up. I had this song written. Uh, got my cousin to uh, play this role with me in this song. So we did this comical rap called The Johnsons. So I did it. Went back home and I listened to it. And I was like, wow. So Radio Scope is doing this national music competition where the fans who listen to the songs, they call in and vote. Mm-hmm. So if you win it four times, you win a record deal with Motown Records. They were oh, sponsoring contests. That's a hell of so a prize. That's that's that's, that's pretty, pretty big deal. I mean, yeah. I'd be sweating. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the crazy thing is I won it three times. And before the fourth time, they stopped the contest. No. So I get a letter in the mail saying that they've stopped the contest. And I'm like, one went away from a record deal with Motown. Oh. So yeah, you're talking about the worst. Bullshit. <laughs> oh, man. I could have been kicking and punching holes in the wall, man. What a bunch of assholes. That That's sucks. horrible. Yeah. How, how, what, yeah. what, year, what year was that? This was in 1990, actually. Damn. Yeah. 1990. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Stacey saws. I think he was uh, her husband. He actually did the production for me on the song. So that's it. A- um, yeah, but the you know it did you know very well over the uh, over the air playing in the different cities. You know they would play. It's kind of like American Idol, where uh, you would come, music would play in all the major cities, and then people would just call in and vote for the best song. So yeah, that that's actually what happened. But it was a comical rap record. And, uh, you know, back, if you go back into the 80s, you know, a lot of artists were doing comical style rap records. You know, if you go back to like, uh, like the Treacherous Three were very popular for doing their Santa's rap in the movie Beat Street. Okay. Okay. So you had uh, groups like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with old school hip hop, but you had artists like, uh, you know, Houdini, they did Big Mouth. You know, so you had uh, Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick. Doing, oh, doing right. uh, Lottie Dottie, yep. you know. Yeah. So, and then yeah, uh, people... as the '90s went on, and I remember the whole the whole East Coast West Coast rivalry that had to yeah, heat it exactly. up, and yeah. you had to be following. Like everyone was following that. Like I, <laughs> I like the West Coast. I was more of a West Coast person than the okay. East Coast. Okay. Um, okay. West Coast. But it was like yeah. you had to, you had it was it was it was an amazing time. I mean, it was a violent time, okay. but it was yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was definitely uh, in terms of music and hip hop definitely a pivotal time you know absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah, I, yeah, like yeah. The, I, I love the that the rapping dude yeah rapping dude in fact he was uh one of the artists that used to tour on the fresh fest when when the fresh fest came out around 1985 it was like rudd dmc the fat boys houdini Curtis Lowe, Grandmaster Flash, and they would pick up different artists in different cities. So you may have had, uh, who was the, uh, the group that did the, uh, oh man, their name uh, escapes me at the moment, but I know that they were a part of, uh, I know UTFO did a couple of dates 
uh, uh, Sean Brown, which I think is the rapid Duke, he joined them on some dates on the Fresh Fest tour. And uh, but yeah, that was a great time to pop. He had a diversity in terms of how the music was being done. So they're yeah, from Brooklyn, some artists, right? UTFO, well, they're Brooklyn. Uh, they're from Brooklyn. That sounds familiar. UTFO, UTFO they were from Brooklyn, right? Yeah, UTFO is from Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's UTFO, right. yeah, Houdini, they're all from Brooklyn. And then after you get past the Fresh Fest era, you get into the uh, what some would call the lyrical era, where you had like Big Daddy Kane, and then you had like Rakim, and then you had Cool G Rap. Uh, so you had a lot of artists that were coming out that were very lyrical at that time frame. So by the time you get to the 90s, you know, like you were saying, it sort of had a uh, paradigm shift where hip hop went more into the uh, more into the gangster style of L.A. West Coast type of hip hop. And that began to take over the whole the whole music scene back Mm. in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Right. Ignite, hang people off balconies. (laughs) Hey, listen, you got to you got to do what you got to do. Who would you consider uh, most influential to you, though? Oh, wow. You know. There was a lot. Of, well, you know what? There was uh, three main artists that I really looked up to and learned from. And number one would have to be Grandmaster Melly Mel of the uh, Period Five. So he's the one that laid it down. When you listen to the song, the message, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to lose my head. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep on going. Yeah, under. yeah, yeah. Mace, yeah Mace, Mace did that so, too a little bit in the remix. Mel, Okay. Melly Mel is, is uh, Melly Mel was the first rapper actually. He was the first MC uh, in hip hop period. You know, that came in, created the rhyme scheme. Uh, so Melly Mel was like the top dog. If you if you ask anyone who was involved in hip hop from '77 up to 1984, Melly Mel is the top dog in hip hop at that time. For those seven years, he was untouchable. So Melly Mel. Kumo D of the Treacherous Three, and believe it or not, Jalil of Houdini, which yeah. strikes a lot of people being strange when I mention Houdini. Yeah. But Houdini were the first artists that actually created, and this is going to sound funny, but they actually created the the, the parameters or the guideline for songwriting. And mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of rappers, even to this day, a lot of rappers don't understand songwriting. Yeah. So you you can actually listen to the radio. And you can listen to an artist and you can, well, at least I can. I can listen to an artist and I'm like, okay, they really don't understand songwriting. Mm -hmm. Because songwriting actually starts with subject matter. And a lot of artists don't really understand that. They don't. Yeah, it starts with subject matter. And after you get through the subject matter, you break a song down into the introduction, the body, and the conclusion. So a lot of artists don't really understand that dynamic when it comes to songwriting. They don't understand uh, how you do 16 bars in a verse. And that type of thing. Yeah. There's a lot of the, lot of the technical aspects of hip hop that a lot of artists don't really know. <laughs> Sad and, to say, and, you know, it's music in general too, because you can listen to like some songs out there, and I, I I play like five different instruments, but so I was playing instruments since I was a kid, so you know how to set songs up. And like you said, you know, you yeah. get the you get the music, you get the harmony, you get the rhythm, you get the beat. And then on top of that, then you get the lyrics. But your lyrics gotta make sense. You gotta tell a story, like you said. You gotta have a start, a beginning, and end. So all these, a lot of these people out there are just, they're just saying shit. Like a lot of the rap songs, I feel like lost a lot of like, 
uh, of the of the of the the body of it, like the of the nineties rap, right? So you hear these and they're like, oh, I got a car, I got a gun, I gotta go to the store. Like it's like they're very they're like they're very schizophrenic. They're like they're ADD. They're not sure what to do. Um, right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, you go back and you listen to some of the uh, songs that you can hear them actually. The, a lot, a lot of their lyrical content is not congruent. Mm-hmm. So you hear them talk about one subject and then they'll jump to another subject. Mm-hmm. Then they'll jump to something else because they don't really understand that it's all supposed to flow and yeah. it's supposed to be congruent when you're doing lyrics. But you know, in theory, that's that's the technical aspect. Yeah, of it. you get that new Cardi B song where she just talks about all the ways she wants to be banged. Which I guess, in in a sense, has a, a sense of like, oh, all right, well, we keeping the subject matter to one particular thing, and now she's just going around the bush. You know what I mean? So, no pun intended. But it, it, a lot of it too, it, you know, it's it's fascinating too in hip hop in general how a lot of it is just kind of marketing. Like you look at like people like some of these guys are actually you know pretty smart. Like it was kind of just an act, like to be gangster. Like Dr. Dre wasn't really gangster. Tupac Shakur went to art school. Like some of these guys, it was just trying yeah. to play to the masses and just trying to capitalize or trying to be part of a, 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 a musical a movement that was kind of perpetuated but like not real yeah you know what it's i mean it was just, absolutely know? absolutely yeah like, uh you know and i've heard stories about a lot of those guys that you just mentioned and uh, but you know like you like you were saying a lot of it is theatrics a lot of it is hollywood mm-hmm. uh some people who come across as one way or not necessarily like that you know so yeah there's a lot of that in the music industry it's like the wwe right everyone has a persona and they put on a whole thing around oh, it right it's a whole velvet yeah, different persona yeah yeah. Come out, yeah 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 and it actually sells you know yeah, it does it builds yeah. up the hype and and the, all the intensity involved in it so yeah yeah it actually um and i guess for a lot of um you know, for a lot of labels or whatever, the bottom line is yourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from an artistic point of view, you know, you know, some guys might shake their head and be like, okay, they really, really don't have the uh, the technical aspects of the game, but they can sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, they can come out in front of the camera. They can say this or say that, you know, look a certain way or whatever, and, uh, you know, and they can sell it. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit to 1990 when you're on the radio as a con. Now, this is before AOL. This is before the internet. This is before social media. So there's no way for you. Like nowadays, if this was a contest, you could go on into Facebook or whatever and just start sharing your links to your songs and everyone in the world have an opportunity to hear it. But 1990, you don't. You're kind of isolated to your own little bubble wherever you are, right? But you're getting the opportunity. They're playing your song around the country on radio stations that's like the modern day like chat room right there right because you wouldn't have that opportunity yeah, exactly. yeah. it's like a pioneer yeah. like so that must have been crazy so, but how do you but would you give a phone number to get feedback because there's no email there's no like you know what i mean well, you, like, call, give me a call if you like the song and then it's a long distance <laughs> call right you have to call collect because they didn't have like you know cell phones back then i can't have a, i can't wrap my mind around that situation yeah yeah the, yeah the show was uh and i and Kind of like you were saying, I think it was one of the first syndicated radio shows that were out there. Okay. You know, if you go back into like the 80s, you had like Tom Joyner, uh, you had some of those uh, DJs that had syndicated radio shows. So, but by the time you get to the to 1990, you know, with Radio Scope, it was one of those syndicated radio shows. But I think they were the first ones, to my knowledge, that actually did a contest. Okay. Yeah, when they were playing 
your songs all over the country and the biggest cities everywhere, and then everyone would call in to vote. And so what they would do, they would notify everyone by letter that you oh, actually wow. won the contest. <laughs> yeah. So like three so weeks later, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, sit there. Going up to the mailbox. Right. Hey, hey. You're like, let her come through. So, you know, it was one of those kind of things, man. Like, I yeah. hope they got the right address. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sitting there for your tax return. You're like, oh, the check should be here any day now. You know, two weeks, three weeks later. I'm just waiting. Where's this check coming in? Yeah, that, you know? that was old school. Like you said, that was before you had uh, all of the, you know, social media outlets, mm-hmm. you know, like the Facebook and all of that going on. So, yeah, it was a, it's a crazy time, man. You know, it's almost like if you if you leave your house today and you leave your cell phone, you feel naked uh-huh. for the whole day. You're like, wow, you don't That's have crazy. your phone with you, and you can't you can't wrap your mind about, around the idea oh, of yeah. not having your phone with you. Yeah, like how the biddy's gonna contact me? That's what I always think. You know what I mean? They they have a smoke signal over the fucking mountain. That's how they want me to know I want to come over. As right. <laughs> when you look at it, it's like you need your cell phone, your wallet, your keys, and your yeah. face condom now. Now you need four things. <laughs> Make sure you get that face condom on because you know, um, no, that's actually pretty cool. I, I, it's it's we, I think a lot of people take a uh, take for granted the, uh, the the social media and that uh, opportunity because if you think back to like just go back into a time machine like like fourteen years ago to two thousand sixteen uh two thousand six rather where, like where MySpace right started coming out I think it was like two thousand five two thousand six and that kind of launched uh, some people. A little more advanced because before that there was not you could, i mean you have aol but you know it wasn't really like a place where you could put your stuff where people could see you know and then you get myspace and you could have like soundcloud was part of that so you could be like all right now you can start laying down beats and songs and stuff and people could download it and people could hear it which was unheard of prior to that other than contests such as the one you were in which took probably lots of money lots of time lots of organization now some kid in a basement in detroit can go and lay down a few tracks and, and the entire world can hear it by you know 24 hours later yeah exactly yeah things were a lot different we were going into uh you know back then when you went into studios like the very first studio i went to i went into was like a professional studio Mm -hmm. but after that experience you know you you're going into studios where people have you know their basements converted into studios you know you had guys you know they would come in and they would uh they would program the drum machine mm-hmm. and then they would uh, get on the keyboard and, and they will play a bass and all of that and they would loop it all together mm-hmm. so you know it was, it was a whole different you know time frame and experience you know during that period of time yeah and nowadays you could lay someone could be laying a beat in la you could be rapping in you know michigan and then someone could be playing like you know the harmonies in florida and they mix it all together in the internet and you're done yeah yeah imagine that i mean that would have been ideal too for me, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, because mm-hmm. you know when you're growing up, you kind of limited with your resources oh, and all yeah. of that, and uh, it really, really opens up a lot of doors for artists coming up in today's game where they can do that and they can release their music and they can have it everywhere. You got Spotify, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, it, it's a game changer, absolutely. And there was no like Craigslist, so you couldn't find people. So if you wanted to like find someone to like you know jam with or to collaborate with or someone you know wanted to lay down, but you, you couldn't find people to piece piece together to make a masterpiece. You had to literally go down to like you know my cousin Joe knows a guy who plays the drums. He could come over, and then you know I got a kid I you know graduated middle school with who plays the keyboard. But that's all you had. That's you were as close to as many as people as you know, which is 
How, now, yeah. now, going back to 1990 and experiencing then, and then now living in society, do you have an appreciation for what you had to do in the past? Or do you feel like the kids these days don't know what it really takes to kind of be successful because they get it so easy these days? Probably, I would probably say both. I would say a little bit of both. It it definitely makes makes me appreciate my experience because, and then when you're young and you're going through it, you don't realize that one day all of this is going to be gone Mm -hmm. and something completely different is going to take over. So you're not even thinking along those lines. You're just thinking, okay, let me get in the studio or I'm going to put down a hit. And, you know, and then at that time, you know, guys were sending out demos. You know, everybody was sending demo tapes out to uh, to uh, record labels and, and trying to get a deal like that mm-hmm. versus today, you know, young guys. And I actually appreciate what the young generation are doing, too, because they're taking advantage of the opportunities that they have. So they're starting their own labels and they're releasing their own music. And they're taking control of their own masters mm-hmm. and uh, things that a lot of artists, you know, back in the 80s and 90s didn't really do. And a lot of them are, you know, financially, they're not, you know, they're pretty much uh, in rough areas right now financially yeah. because of not being able to take advantage of those opportunities. And it's like the record companies, they they fully take advantage of you, right? So if you're a young and up and coming guy, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you know, you you are limited to what they give you. They give you a cash advance. They go, all right, you need to release this many albums or whatever like this, and you got to do all this stuff. And then you have a laundry list. So you're, you're working like you're working like a hog for the for the next you know five years. Nowadays, you, like you said, you could just launch your own record deal and be like, listen, and you can put your own stuff on iTunes without have to go into a you know a third party. You you literally can control your destiny and get all. And, and the record companies must be fucking hating this because this is really putting a dent in their income and taking advantage of young kids like they've had in the past and pretty much like manipulate them, steal all their rights to songs, and then kind of kick them onto the curb and like see you later. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, earlier this today, I was actually just thinking about the idea that someone should make a movie about Sugar Hill Records mm. because they were the first hip hop label in rap music. And so Sugar Hill, the whole story, if you go back to like Sylvia Robinson, she was an R&B singer herself and she made a hit record in the early 70s called Pillow Talk. Okay. And she began, she started a different label in the mid 70s. And by 79, she wanted to sign a, a rap group, you know, to Sugar Hill Records. And uh, so they went out and they found, they put together the members of the Sugar Hill Gang, which came out with the classic rappers that like the hip hop, the hip 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 hop, you know, stop the rock. So, but that that whole story, if you listen to some of the, some of the stories that the artists who were involved with Sugar Hill, you hear some of the stories about their experiences. You know, like, wow, this needs someone needs to make a movie out of this. Mm-hmm. They, oh, they didn't even yeah. write. They didn't even write that song, did they? No, uh, it's a sample. Thinking, it's a sample of a disco song. No, but like uh, the lyrics to to the I was I was watching like a documentary, and I think like I, I saw an interview previously. I think like I want to say Grandmaster Cast like wrote like the lyrics and stuff, everything to like part of that song. If I'm not. Yeah. Yes, you're 100% correct. Um, um, if, as far as the lyrics are concerned, uh, Wonder Mike had his own lyrics, 
Master G had his own lyrics, but Big Bang Hank wasn't a rapper. Right. A lot okay. of people don't know that, but Big Bang Hank was a was a bouncer at a club called The Sparkle, <laughs> where Grandmaster Cass That's used funny. to perform at. And so when when uh, Sylvia was putting together these rappers to come together to make this record, they didn't know that Big Bang Hank was actually doing Grandmaster Cass's rhymes. So, mm. and if you listen to his rhymes and he actually says Grandmaster Cass's name. Right, and right. The, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, that kind of, you know, and it's funny too because you know Cass couldn't sue, you know, for you know royalty rights or whatever because there was no copyright mm. on on his uh, material. Mm. So, which is real crazy, you know, back in it. But no one was thinking along those lines, you know, that people are going to make records, it's going to sell ten million copies worldwide. Yeah. They're going to make, you know, millions of dollars, or at least the label made millions of dollars off of the record. You know, no one was really thinking about it at that time. But someone needs to make a, a movie out of it because that oh, experience, yeah, that entire experience was crazy. I mean, we all went over a friend's house to eat and the food was no good. We've all done that. <laughs> and so one thing we always can remember, that's the, it's the way it was, you know. So, Shaw, I have a little cousin who's really good at making beats, right? He's uh, well, he's like 18 years old now. He's 17. How old is he? 17. So he's 17 years old. He's still in high school. He's a senior. And uh, oh, okay. so my aunt's watching. He wants he wants to know what should he do. He's I think he puts his, he has uh, beats on SoundCloud. He uh, he's actually sold a few to people. What what would you do if you're a 17 year old kid these days laying down good? And the beats are pretty good too. Like who do you who do you contact? What's your avenues and how do you not get screwed? Uh, you know that's a great question because now everyone is taking advantage of the social media outlets. So I would say. I would say the first thing is continue doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Continue making music, creating new music, and putting it out there and releasing it himself. And also, and and to be honest with you, I'd love to uh, hear a sample. If he can uh, send me an email, I'd love to hear some of his uh, music myself. Oh, yeah? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Um, but doing what he's doing, because that's the way, that's the direction everything is moved into, is everyone is pretty much independent. And in terms of uh, they're, they're, they're creating a brand, you know, everyone is doing it on their own now. Mm -hmm. So I would say continue doing what he's doing, but I would love to hear his music. Uh, I'm still um, doing a little bit of music with Charlie Prince of Rockmaster Scott and the Dynamic 3. Uh -huh. You know, they did the uh, the Roof is on Fire. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the record uh, request line back in 1984. Damn. So, yeah. So, I will... And, and, I'll pass his information around to you. He's, he's really good. Actually, I was down listening to him last uh, last year, and uh, he's got the whole setup down there, and he's, he he loves it. It's what he wants to do. So, and he, it sounds really really good. I was actually I was really impressed when I heard it too. I was like, damn! I'm like, where'd you learn how to do this shit? I was about to... <clears throat> but that's how it is these days. Yeah, they're getting younger and, and more advanced technology, mm -hmm. you know, technically more advanced than what we were at you know at that age i'm like wow yeah now you know they can uh they can do things that just makes you like wow how did you do that right so yeah yeah that's fantastic I, uh, I, that's because i remember like i was a kid and my grandfather I would like i would program my grandfather's vcr for him and he'd be like wow how did you do that right and this is like 20 years ago now i go and i, I go out and see one of my teenage cousins and they're doing something like wow now i'm the old man how did you do that like, I, I figure out how to do that you know it's crazy how technology yeah, changes yeah. but um yes, we, we want to talk we want to talk about uh the, your book 
I, yes. I, I got to know about this because I, 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 I got to say with a title like Make America Hate Again, I'm sure you must get some really nice people emailing you about how on the name and just how, mm-hmm. oh God, I can't imagine some of the hate mail you might get from some people. <laughs> well, well, and the, the, uh, the strangest thing is that um, hip hop really led me into doing activism. And so it all started with hip hop. So if you go back and you you listen to some of the uh, rap records, you know when Public Enemy was doing anything, and you had uh, you had uh, yeah, Chuck D, uh, Karis One, Kumo uh, D, they were all saying things that were socially relevant and conscious <laughs> at the time. So I came up in that uh, you know in that era where I was like, oh wow. So now you know you, you're starting to look at life a little bit different when you're getting older. And you're listening to the messages, the music, and it's sort of um, driving your your energy into that arena. And so I became an activist based on hip hop. So the the book, yeah, like you were saying, yeah, this has been some a uh, <laughs> lot of crazy feedback, man. Absolutely, <laughs> make America hate it again. That's um, it's it's very popular though, man. I, I'm getting uh, quite a bit of uh, feedback from that particular book. But uh, it, it, it really, uh, you know, lays out the history of, uh, of African-Americans and, uh, and it highlights a lot of the uh, issues and, and uh, things that we have, that we've dealt with over the years, over the uh, last century or so. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those books where you're just trying to raise the consciousness of people and trying to get people to understand that, uh, when they say Black Lives Matter, there's some real truth to that, and there's yeah. a reason as to why it's being said. So if you go back through the history of Black America, and uh, it leads up to this point where you, where you know, where some people are saying make America great again, you know, there's yeah. a lot of people who would take a different stance to that and say, well, make America hate again because a lot of the issues that we thought we were moving away from have resurfaced. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, you know, that's the, the climate that we're currently living in. But I think those of us who are responsible, socially responsible, you know, have to, we all have a responsibility to sort of step up and say something and try to make everything a little bit better. So we can work on race relations and we can uh, sure. come yeah. together in areas where we can come together and do things that can advance society. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. Yeah. I think I think we have to look at things now as like I get a little frustrated sometimes. Not not with Black Lives Matter, but like we'll say like a fraction or a a faction of small percentage of that group because you like Black Lives Matter is fine, but you also have these extremists and anybody who's extreme, anything whether it's a soccer moms or Black Lives Matter is are can be kind of radical. And then when that happens, you have these people who think everything that's bad that's happening to them is just because they're black. And I've encountered that too. It's like, oh, you don't like me because I'm black. And I'm like, no, I don't like you because you're an asshole. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't care what color you are. You could be purple, green polka dots. I, I personally don't give a shit, but it's like sometimes the, these factions, these pockets of people create their own segregation. You know what I mean? So it's like, we got to stick together. We're black, but wait a second. Shouldn't we all be working together? So it increases counterculture and it goes back and forth. And it's frustrating to me just as a person who wants to get along with everybody. Like, why the fuck can't we all just get along? You know? Right. <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. You know? 
perfectly put, you know. A lot of that's to do with how people are raised too. I, I say that ninety percent of how you act as a as an adult is how you were raised. And if you had a shitty upbringing or you you know you didn't have direction, whether it's from a you know, family member or some kind of mentor to tell you how you should you know act like a human, be nice to people, and you know all that stuff. It goes back to when you're a kid, right? When you're playing in a playpen, you're four years old. And what does someone say to you? Play nice, right? Kids don't know color. Kids don't know race. Kids don't know that shit. All they want to know is their friend, Bob, down the street. They don't care about them. It's not until the things that are put in their minds from, like, other sources, adults, irresponsible adults who don't want to teach their kids the right way. I mean, that could all just be nipped in the ass right there as a young youth. If, if parents just said, hey, listen, this is like good people, hate bad people. And that's as simple as that. Color, race doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I think it's as simple as that. It's sharing culture. That's what it has to be about. It has to be about sharing our cultures and not necessarily going in separate directions away. It's the only way it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> but. Um, I think, I think uh, trying to get people to try to build. Uh, I think your mic is cutting out. Can you hear him? I can't hear Yeah, him. I think. Yeah, your mic. Uh, <laughs> hey, sorry, Sha. Sha, I think your your mic's cutting out a little bit. Oh no! Do you hear? Sha, can you hear us? Modern technology. Still, yeah, I sent him still a message. message. Okay. Is like that his mic is out. Yeah. Of everything, but like um, I think man, like you know, we spend too much time arguing on social media. And not enough time, like, you know, actually, like, you know, trying to solve problems. I think, like, it would be better if we, we, we actually, like, you know, sat down and tried to focus on solving actual problems that could be fixed yeah. in the community, you know, and stuff and everything. There's a lot of times, even, like, with Black Lives Matter, like, you know, uh, as far as, like, the narrative that they try to police, they, they try to push that, you know, police are killing African-American men. And, like, that really isn't, like, you know what I mean, and stuff and everything, like, a factual Thing. Like, even though there is police brutality and maybe sometimes the way that like some communities are policed, there's a problem with that. But like, they're not actually like, you know, focusing on solving those issues and stuff and everything. And they're just focused on, you know, taking like an instance that happens and blowing it up like that happens every day. But like, you know, those incidents are very rare in between. And don't, and I, I do believe the media likes to play both sides off each other. Oh, yeah. They want those clashes. They want to create more racial issues because it makes a better story. I, I often wonder sometimes like, hmm, like, is like, is this, is, I mean, some of these issues are definitely issues, but if the media didn't freaking get involved and put their own spin on it, would it be able to be solved better in some cases? You know what I mean? Like the media just loves it. They love to like throw like that little thing in there just to try to make it worse, whether it's true or not. You don't know, you know, it's a. Uh... Right, right, right. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, in some cases, you, you can see how the media can blow things out of proportion and make things uh, worse than what they really are. Mm -hmm. yeah, throw gas on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just think of like you take away so so just go to social media. This this shit cesspool that is Facebook that we're live on right now. We're trying to use it for a good thing by you know entertaining people and you know just being informative about shit. But then you go at any given time, you go on someone's page, right? And all of a sudden, has someone points their opinion about something, then you get five hundred people that hate that opinion, right? There's so much hate, there's so much like <laughs> anger, right? It's like, it's like, but this wasn't around like ten years ago. Like if you no. had, you had a problem with someone. 
you go tell that person, right? You give them a call, or you knock on the door, and be like, hey, listen, I got a problem with you. And then you, you handle it as adults, or sometimes maybe it gets out of hand, and then you hand the police up to get involved. But nevertheless, your entire world didn't have to see the dirt you have with the guy who lives next door to you, right? Because you could do it privately. And like, it's not helpful. I don't think, like, I even, I even try to, you know, put anything controversial on there because you may try to be putting your point across, right? But people will interpret it differently, and then it becomes like a shit show because then your real point has been lost in the in the, the mess. And and like Adam had a good point. The news does the same exact thing because what they do is they like to stir up shit too. Because depending on what political party and what news channel it is, they like to stir up shit to make you know the extremists on one side really get rallied on the extremists on the other side. And at the end of the day, no one knows the facts. Right, it's like it's like watching a, a a fiction movie. Like we don't know what the truth is. No one knows what the truth is. It's a, a fucking shame because it's like I watch the news to get the news. Right, I want to know if the house is on fire. I want to know if someone was if the, the the store was robbed down the street. I just want to get factual information for my news. I don't give a shit about what you know. It's so fucking frustrating. Yeah, you don't know? you know, get anything extra hype to it. Just get the mm-hmm. story out the way. Right? Yeah. I don't watch the news to be entertained. There's some people that do. I watch news as like I wake up in the morning, I turn the news on. I get 15 minutes to see if there's a car accident on my way to work, what the weather's going to be, and if I should be concerned about some armed guy on the run. You know what I mean? That's all I want to know. I don't really need to know their perspective on life or what they think things should be like, right? I really don't give a shit. But... And, and, and to a point, I feel the same way about athletes and, and musicians and actors and stuff like that too. Like I, I like certain, I like, I like, I like them, but I like them because of the art they do. I like what they do, what they produce for you know. And I understand they're using their platform sometimes to help a cause, which is fine. But it's the ones that take it to the extreme level that really, really, I feel like uh, dilute what they're actually trying to achieve. You know what I mean? I feel like you know the extreme. Uh, actor uh, or musician who goes out to the extra step instead instead of like being like listen this is what I support you should listen to me here's my ideas where they start f you and people because of the way they do and they really you know and that goes for anyone too there's this lady I follow on Twitter by the way who I follow her just because I like to get enraged in the morning sometimes and I've told that about her she owns a restaurant in the north end of Boston and she's an ex like sideline reporter for like the New York Yankees. And what she does is if someone leaves a bad review or has a negative comment about a restaurant, she will blast them on Twitter and call them a fucking asshole and, and pretty much <laughs> and it's so non professional. If I owned the business, I would be so concerned that this would be happen, you know what I mean? This broad don't give no fucks. And it's so entertaining, but it's so wrong. It's not the way to properly settle a situation. like I've been always told, like, you go and be like, I'm sorry you had a bad experience. Come back. We'll buy you an appetizer. You know, all this shit. No, go fuck yourself and your mother's a cunt. Like, I don't want to hear those things when I'm trying to get my report across, but I don't know. So, Sean, um, I, I'm curious, though, like, with, with a title, like, you know, Make America Hate Again and um, all this, like, what, how do you feel this country needs to get back on track? Like, what, what, do you, what are your personal feelings? I, I want to read your book. I'm going to read your book. I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by, uh, you know. Yeah. I think uh, the country can get back on track by people coming together, sharing stories with each other, and tearing down the walls that divide us. You got to tear down the walls. And a lot of the walls that are standing are based on ignorance. Mm-hmm. And so we can tear down the walls and we can get together and we can share our stories and experiences. We can all come together. 
at that point. And I think that's what we need to do. I agree. It's as easy as that, right? I mean, if it was, if it's really that simple, if we just get our heads out of the gutter, you know what I mean? And I, I, I thought this generation of people growing up would have some smarts. But I feel like the message has been lost with the younger kids because there's so much delusion with the news channels and, and the hype and everything that the message is lost. And, you know, they see on the news, like, you know, something bad happened, so let's go rob a Target. You know, if something bad happened, let's go burn down a McDonald's, right? But that's not right. And, and the news shouldn't be glorifying that shit. The news should be saying, like, no, these aren't the people who are trying to do the right thing. These are people who are taking advantage of a situation to just be, you know crazy just didn't you know they have they have issues these people you know what i mean it's right. but absolutely so i i mean like you said the best thing is just to be educated understand the situation um and i feel like you know just open open your mind for, to conversation because if you can do that i think that everyone can get along and for God's sakes, fucking parents, raise your kids right. I'm sick and tired of brats and fucking pain in the ass. I'm not just for like racial issues or shit like that. There's there's a lot of bad kids out there whose parents just just in general, right? Yeah, like about everything, <laughs> and like just right. be a parent. Like I don't understand where that was lost. I just don't understand. Like, I fucking blows I me. Mean, I think a lot of that comes like people really don't have time to spend with their kids. Like you know, if you if you gotta pay for a place to live. You're working 40 hours a week. You don't know what your kid's doing. And like, you know, a lot of times and stuff, they're relying on the schools or like, you know what I mean? The internet or like, you know, music or whatever, other outlets and stuff. And they're not really spending time with their kids because people don't have the time because like, you know what I mean? It's expensive to live in the world today. It's true. Live in the United States. That's a good point. (laughs) It's a different world too. Like I would hate to compete with that. Like if I was, if I was a parent, you kidding me? Like, it's like, if, if you were in school back then and you were bullied, at least it left you when you left school and you have to worry about it the next day. Now it just freaking follows you on social media. Mm -hmm. People constantly picking on you. No wonder like kids are killing themselves. Like seriously, like I I probably would have too. I was bullied. Everyone was bullied or somebody at some point, you know, gave them, Imagine it's a video they're passing around and stuff. Yeah, but like I at least then like it's a the day's over. Right, I can go home. Or my my tail's between my legs, but I can go home. I'll worry about it tomorrow. Or if, fucking no. No. Or if, or if you're gonna fight the kid, right? So the kid's picking on you. You're like, all right, I'll meet him outside of school. I'll, I'll fucking, I'll, I'll punch him in the face. I'll see what I could do, right? At least that ends at the school, right? Now people are videotaping it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's on world yeah, style hip hop. And next thing you know, you're, you know, moms and parents are involved, and there's there's broomsticks, and there's a whole lot of fucking bad stuff going on these days. I mean, I don't. I, I yeah, would, and nowadays people walk around with guns too so yeah you don't that's know that's always a part of the equation so crazy world we live in it's just i i have a nine-month-old kid and i fear for what it's going to be like when he's done i hope facebook and twitter get abolished and now this shit goes away well, congratulations, man. <laughs> thank you thank yeah. you it's tough yeah. it's it's a it's a challenge yeah. but he's gonna do what you gotta do you know it is it's, it's, it's what it is but yeah, yeah. But Sean, we're approaching the hour mark right here. But uh, for the last few minutes, I want you to just uh, tell everyone where they can get all your information, where they can get your book, where they can hear some of your music and all that good stuff. Yep, I would say go to Amazon. Amazon has everything. It has all of my books, all of my music. Um, they could also um, check out some of my uh, music on YouTube as well. Okay. And uh, yeah, and um, and actually. I'm I'm actually in the process of of looking for a, a producer 
So I want to come out with some more adult contemporary rap action. So I'm just uh, looking around for some quality producers and uh, already have songs lined up. So it's just a matter of just finding the right fit and getting back in the studio and, and laying down some uh, some nice jams and then releasing them. Cool. Nice. Yo. Nice. And I'll have my aunt send my, uh, or my cousin send the information over. I'll pass it over to Ryan to send to you so you can give it a listen. Oh. Fantastic. I'm sure you could use. He'll, he'll enjoy the feedback one way or another. So, I mean, he's a young kid, so the, if I was his age, I would love someone of your stature to be able to listen to something like that and be able to give me some kind of feedback one way or another. What I got to be doing, you know what I mean? So we appreciate right. that. I'll definitely, yeah, and I'll definitely give him some feedback, and I'll try to uh, share it with a few people that I know. I like that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for coming on. As we had uh, Sean XLG Mitchell on the show tonight uh if you're watching on facebook we will be taking a brief little break and then we coming back uh mr glover who do we have for the eight o'clock hour uh we've got uh jim blissett uh social worker and uh he's the author of the children's book uh whatever happened to that boy who played basketball all night and then uh chad briscoe who's a former european professional basketball player who invented the ball by yourself strap with his uh nine-year-old son so awesome well sean thanks again for joining us and uh we'll, sean, it was nice to meet you buddy yeah Thank we'll you. have you back yeah, on soon yeah. and uh go out there get the book make america hate again check it out on amazon uh facebook we will be back after these messages